Have you ever seen so many men begetting men? <laughs> Yet there were four women here, utterly indispensable women, because truth be told, no women, no man. <laughs> Having said that, Sister Glenn is going to preach tonight. <laughs> Thank you, Father Tony. And I'm extraordinarily grateful that you got to read tonight's gospel. It's the lector's equivalent of running a marathon. I pondered, what is the purpose of reading Jesus' genealogy? Why did Matthew feel that this was the way to begin his gospel? It's my thinking that in naming all of Jesus' ancestors, Matthew is rooting the divine Jesus into the human family. It is yet another way for us to come to know and believe that Jesus is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. Because we all have a similar genealogical line. Some of us may have gotten into the Ancestry.com craze and can actually name their ancestors going back generations and generations. My cousin has done this for our family, and a few years ago she discovered that we're descendants of a passenger on the Mayflower. Ever since learning that, I have felt a deeper understanding of my place in American history and of the celebration of Thanksgiving. And so Matthew's genealogy presents a deeper understanding of Jesus' connection to salvation history and the fulfillment of the messages of the prophets. It's important for us to know to connect Jesus to the house of David. It's important to know why Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem for his birth. The study of genealogy reminds us that we are not alone. We have family. We are the product of generations of families who lived with joys and sorrows, experienced challenges and successes, and passed down stories and traditions that continue to shape us and shape the world around us. Earlier this month, I came across a meme on social media that read, as a grown-up, I've come to learn that all the magic I felt as a kid was really a mom who loved me very much. I'm not sure if that's true for everyone. Perhaps for you, it wasn't your mom. It might have been your dad or your grandparents or a beloved aunt or uncle. But I hope that everyone can name a person or persons who has brought them Christmas joy and Christmas magic. But for me, it truly was my mom. For almost 15 years, mom was in charge of our parish's annual Christmas bazaar. She oversaw everything from making and selling crafts and Christmas trinkets, a bake sale, a breakfast and photos with Santa, 
entertainment in the parish hall, and so much more. I recall that from August through the beginning of December, our house was in full Christmas preparation mode. Mom spent every spare moment planning and preparing for the Christmas bazaar. My mom was a genuine Santa's elf, and our basement was one of Santa's workshops. She had a huge work table, and there were always stacks and stacks of boxes of crafts and other supplies for the sale. You would think that after the sale, Mom would be sick of Christmas and tired of making crafts and baking and decorating, but she wasn't. She turned her attention to making Christmas special for her family. I can think of many ways that my mom made Christmas memorable over the years well into adulthood. I think it's no coincidence that the very last conversation I ever had with my mother before she slipped away into coma as she died from cancer was on Christmas morning in this very building. I think someone else who could say that their mother made Christmas magical for him was Jesus himself. In my imagination, Mary and Joseph shared the story of his birth with him and their family over the years. If he didn't tell his story, how would we know that Joseph had a dream and heard a message from an angel? And if she didn't tell her story, how would we know about Mary and her meeting the angel Gabriel and of the message, Be Not Afraid? Certainly, Mary and Joseph shared the story of their anxiety of looking for a place to stay in Bethlehem, of Mary's giving birth in a stable, and of the shepherds and wise men who came to visit. Surely, hearing these stories, Jesus would witness his parents' extraordinary faith and trust in God and feel their love for him and for one another. And if I were to rewrite that meme, I might say, all the Christmas magic we've ever experienced is because of a God who loves us so very much. Fans of Father Richard Rohr's daily emails, or those of you who have hung around the Wheaton Franciscans for a few years, may be familiar with a little-known Franciscan theologian named John Duns Scotus. Scotus lived in the 14th century, and one of his theologi theological arguments has been lost in the mists of time, except to a few nerdy theologians, scholarly types, and fellow Franciscans. It's really too bad because his that his message is not well known because it's quite extraordinary and really spot on. Scotus challenges the notion that Christ was born to save us from our sins, to fix us, as it were. His theological premise is this. God is all good, all powerful, all knowing, all loving. Everything God creates is good. Recall the creation story from Genesis. God creates the world and proclaims everything good. At the very core of our being is this goodness from God, 
having been created in the image and likeness of God, how can we be anything but good? SCOTUS challenges the notion of original sin. How is it possible that God, who is love, would create beings that are at their core evil or sinful? We are made from love to be love. It's only life's circumstances, the temptations and choices that we face that are sinful. We are not sin itself. We may have sinful tendencies because, after all, we are human with the gift of free will. But it's also the very love of God that redeems us. Because of God's immense love for us, we are forgiven before we even ask for forgiveness. So Scotus's real challenge to the traditional theology is this question. Would God have sent Christ into the world if humankind had not sinned? And his answer is, of course, a resounding yes. God comes to us always in our goodness and in our sinfulness. It's impossible to think that Jesus only came to be a great fixer-upper. It is, in essence, the very opposite nature of God. We are loved and experience the magic of Christmas simply because God loves us. I'd like to offer one last thought about the magic of Christmas, and that it's not confined to December 24th and 25th, or even a 12-day period of gift-giving from our true love. From the immortal wisdom of the Charlie Brown Christmas special, Christmas time is here, happiness and cheer. Oh, that we could always see such spirit through the year. Be the reason someone can say, the magic I feel from Christmas is because of the love you show them. The truest gifts of Christmas, peace, joy, happiness, and most especially love, are not limited to this season or these days. They are the graces that give meaning to our entire lives. Love is the gift of our ancestors. Whether known to us or not, our DNA is infused with their spirit and life. Love is the gift we receive from our parents by witnessing the ways they cared for us and endured the challenges of their lives. Love is the gift that we can offer to all those we meet, not just our family and friends, but to everyone all year long. Love is the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. Merry Christmas.